Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't dictate, it is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. And today's show was inspired by a call. I did a call-in show uh, earlier this week on Tuesday when I was home. And uh, when I did that call-in show, I said I want more people to call, and more people called. And one guy called. And he asked me to do something that I couldn't, you know, do on a call-in show. It wouldn't be like where I could take six, seven calls for a 40, 50-minute show uh, because his request was, can you do a show for the brand-new person that's just woken up, that's just actually finally said, i got to do something, but I don't know where to start. And uh, oh, way back in the beginning, I did a show called Starting from Zero with Emergency Survival Planning. And, and that really wasn't as holistic as approach as we've kind of developed together as I've done this show. That was more about just being ready for something to go wrong as far as a little bit of food storage and a little bit of planning. And uh, it also has crappy audio, because it's from the time when I used to sit here with, uh, basically what I started out with, folks, was a, a camera. A little video camera, a little handheld video camera. I can't remember who makes the thing. Aptech makes it. And it's got an MP3 player on it. And I would just turn the damn thing on, MP3 recorder, and just sit here and do it. Um, so the, the audio is bad as well. So instead of referring him to that, I thought I would go ahead. And it's about time to do a brand new person show anyway. We haven't done that in a long time. So we'll go ahead and do that today. Before I do, let's go ahead and uh, knock out house cleaning. Again, I will be at Wilderness Waste Dirt Time 09 event out in San Bernardino, California at the end of August. There will be a link in the show notes today if you want to know more about that. Uh, Region 5 is having a great big get-together, bug-out, uh, camp-out type event. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Whether you're from Region 5 or Region not, you are welcome to come. Uh, David Crawford, who authored Lights Out, I'm doing a... A, uh, audio version of that book. You can get a preview of it at the show link in today's show notes. And another thing about Mr. Crawford, he's got a post in our forum, and they're thinking about, and this is really for Texas, maybe Oklahoma, Louisiana, I don't know, it depends on how far you want to drive to do this. They're running kind of a drill challenge down here in Texas. It's either going to be in May or it's going to be in June. He's looking for people that would be interested in that. And basically, you give your information to somebody, and uh, one weekend or the other, they're going to call you and say, it's t- the shit has hit the fan metaphorically, bug out, get get whatever you would take with you and come on and meet us here, and let's figure out what we would do if this situation was real. Um, so that's uh, that's out there, and again, I want to uh, remind everybody we have a member support brigade now. It's a way that you can support the show and get exclusive content only available to members. That exclusive content is mostly in the form of video. Uh, there's quite a few videos there. There's new video being shot this weekend. We have some stuff planned. I'll continue to build out that video archive. And basically, even with the video, this is really a way for you just to support the work we're doing here. If you think you get more than 25 cents of, uh, of value per show, uh, then consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Uh, that wraps up the house cleaning. Uh, let's start talking about, you know, if you're a brand new person. 
And uh, the way he phrased it is, you've been a grasshopper your whole life, and you, you finally want to kind of transfer over and be an ant. How do you do that? Well, let's get the psychology right before we talk about anything that you're going to do. Let's understand that this is a lot like you are a big, fat, 450-pound person uh, who, when you were 18 years old, was slim and fit, 180-pound, 6-foot-tall man. You were in great shape. You're now 48, and you weigh... 450 pounds. It took you 30 years to go from that 180 pound, good shape, right out of high school football player body and put on 450 pounds of flab around it. If you come off with, in two weeks, I want to be back to where it took me 30 years to get away from, you're going to do what so many people on a diet do, and that is you're going to fail. All right. Now, how does that apply to prepping? You've spent your whole life not prepping. You are as disorganized as you can be. You are as unprepared as you can be. First of all, take comfort in the fact that that makes you a normal American, your average. All right? You don't want to be average. Average sucks. Average gets you killed in a catastrophe. Remember, that should be our new one of our new catchphrases. Average will get you killed in a catastrophe. All right? But how old are you? If you're 20, you spent 20 years getting there. If you're 30, you spent 30 years getting there. If you're 30, you spent 20 years of being a kid getting there and being taught to be that way, most likely. And then you spend the next 10 years of getting yourself as far into that as you can because you got yourself some credit cards, maybe you got yourself married, got yourself a big house, got yourself a big boat, started living that American dream like I did myself, right? So there's a lot that you did to put yourself into a position where you're 100% exposed. So just right from the beginning, except the fact that you can't go from exposed to covered in a day, or a week, or even a month. You're not going to get there. There's people that have been doing this for 10 years that are still working a little bit every day to make things a little bit better, a little bit safer for themselves and their families. I'm doing a little bit more every day. And some of the folks that listen to this show, just to make you feel better if you're kind of the new guy, are way ahead of me in what they have done. They have more food, they have more land, they have more capability uh, because they've been doing it longer, because they didn't take a 15-year sabbatical away from their roots, like I talked about my roots yesterday. So get your psychology right. It's going to take a while to get things rectified and, and even when you get them rectified you won't be done but at least you'll be able to respond to the acute problems All right. there's another question I don't want to completely answer that was asked by uh, Heavy G about when you've prepped enough and I think you, there are places where you get to where you've prepped enough as far as acquiring more stuff And uh, but I'll save answering that to later I'm just saying for the new person you don't worry about that because you've got a long time to go before you get there all right, then the next thing that you're, you're going to want to do is you're going to want to just figure out where you are. All right, that's, that's, it sounds basic, and it sounds oversimplified, but you're going to have to find out where you're at. If you don't find out where you're at, you have no idea how to get to where you want to go to. And what do I mean by that? Let's say that I put you in a car and blindfolded you. And I drove you somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, not out in the woods, but on a road somewhere out, some country road somewhere. 
If you've never been, you've never heard, if you do see a street sign, it doesn't mean anything to you. You're not on an interstate system, so you don't have north, south, east, or west. And I said, all right, get your butt home, buddy. And I handed you a map, and I took off, and I took some weird path out of there so it wasn't even the right way for you to go. Does that map do you any good immediately? It, it does not. It does you absolutely no good at all, even if it's the most accurate map in the world. And the reason it doesn't do you any good is because you don't know where you are on the map right now. Your first priority would be to determine where are you. And there's a variety of ways in that situation you could do that. You could look around, look for signs of civilization, and see if you can go find help and find somebody that would tell you where you are. You could start out by saying, well, I was here, right? I was here. This is where I was when I got in the car. And when I got in the car, we drove for 60 minutes. So if I draw a circle around where I was, and it's about 60 miles away, that's the maximum distance anybody's really going to be able to travel, especially with these, you know, it's not going to be straight line highway the whole way. I'm somewhere in this circle. And then you might look at what time of day it is on your watch, see where the sun is in the sky. And you know which way east and west is. And since you know which way east and west is, you know which way north and south is. You're starting to narrow down where you could be. Now you might start looking at the map and go, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to head on this road right here north until I find a road. I'm going to look for the name of that road on this map. Once I find that road on this map, I'll know I approached it from the south. And uh, that means that I'm here. I can then follow that road to a cross street. I'll look at it. I'll take my best guess. When I find a cross street, I'll mark that. I'll know exactly where I am. And then getting home while a long walk, and you might be mad at me for dropping you off, relatively easy to do if you know how to read a map. Absolutely impossible to do if you don't know where you are. That's how prepping works. You don't know where you are, knowing where you want to be won't be of any help to you whatsoever. So the first thing that you do is sit down and take an assessment. Look at all the food in your home, okay, and and realize how long could you go. Start just just clear, clear the countertop. Pull all the food out of your pantry and start stacking it into meals as best you can. Don't try to be super accurate. Just try to get dinner, breakfast, lunch one day, dinner and breakfast, lunch two days. And then think about looking in your you know, refrigerator. Maybe you don't want to open your refrigerator and freezer and pull everything out. But just kind of go through it. And just get a, a notepad and write down, I have 14 days worth of food in the home. And odds are, unless you just went to the grocery store, it's probably your aggregate average. So that means that just living the way that you do, you already have two weeks of food on hand at any given time. So if your first goal then is to get to a month, well, you're really only talking two weeks worth of food that's for dedicated storage. You see how that works. You see how much easier, how much clearer the objective becomes as soon as you know, well, I have seven days, I have five days, I have 14 days, I have 20 days. There's a lot of Americans that as as much as we beat on them from the prepper community that have never done anything, that if they were told to stay in their home for three weeks, they might be miserable, they might be angry, they might grouse, moan, and complain, but they wouldn't starve. Well, let's just be honest. There's plenty of households out there with pantries full of crap that people have forgotten about. They don't have it well organized. But if they got to eat, there's food. 
Alright? So you get that assessment of your food done. There's, there's three main components to initial preparations that you need to assess. One is, do you have food? Okay? And, and food storage. That's pretty simple. There's plenty of content out there on how to store food. You can buy long-term storage food. You can put your own food away. I'm going to talk about doing that in a minute. The next thing that you need to do when you're brand new is you need to have a plan and you need to have documentation of everybody that you may need to contact. So I highly suggest that you start putting together a book. Do not rely on your computer for this. You can do the work on your computer, but print it out every time there's a new version. I suggest you have at least two, if not three, versions of this thing. That you keep one in your home, one in your vehicle, and if you're married, you keep one in the second vehicle that you probably have. Every time you print a new version, get rid of the old version or you know if you're going to add something to it fine you're going to do the folder i don't care how you do it but make sure you have a list of all the emergency contacts that you would have to make in your area i'm talking to police departments don't rely just on 911 you may need to get information fire departments um, centers you know your hospitals disease control centers everything like that additionally on that list you should have a list of every family member that you would ever want to contact in emergency and every method of contact that they have. Phone number at the house, cell phone. If they have if there's one of those people still carrying a pager, pager. Um, you know, physical address. Every way there could be email address, right? Every way there could be to get a hold of that person. And so that's just an address book. The key is instead of having one little address book that says home, and you have to call your kid, hey, could you look something up for me? Or it's on your computer, and if your computer's down, you can't get it. You have it in multiple locations. You always have one somewhere that you can get your hands on it. You can put your hands on that. Into that documentation, I want you to start thinking now. If something happened and we had to leave our house, where would we go? I want you to have at least three places that you would go, and I do not want them to be close together. I don't know if they're relations. I don't know if they're friends. I don't know if they're, we would go to this place and try to find a hotel. All right. If it's going to be, you know what, the only, the only option we have is a hotel, then you better find in the area that you would go to, pick a good area outside of major cities, things like that, pick three or four hotels that are right in that area, Get all their information, put it in your documentation. Now, why the hell does that matter? Because when all the hotels start filling up, people start freaking out, people start looking things up, you know exactly where you're going. Hopefully you're a little bit further than most people think that they need to go. You pick up the phone, you call the number in the book, and you make a reservation in your book. You see how simple that is. Now, that doesn't sound like, you know, bugging out to the wilderness, but let's be real, folks. If... Um, if you live in an area that's prone to hurricanes and they say, Cat 5 hurricane's coming, your house might be underwater soon, get out. You know, hopefully you don't end, you know, you're going to be able to go back. Hopefully you don't lose everything. But since you're leaving, I'd rather go stay in a hotel room, honestly, if I could afford it. There'll probably be some kind of disaster relief from Uncle Sam anyway that you'll get in that scenario. We're not talking about end-of-the-world stuff here. So let's again think about disaster probability. What are you more likely to have to leave the house for? A storm? Some kind of localized occurrence that eventually will be corrected you can come back? Or the end of the world as we know it? Well, obviously the first two are more likely. So you can't initially go out and buy yourself a retreat in the wilderness starting from zero. So start with the most obvious thing. If it's, a, if it's a relation or a friend's house, don't 
decide you're going there without talking them to them about it first. And if you're going to make that phone call and say, Uncle Tom, uh, you know, you guys are like way up there in Wisconsin, and we're down here, and uh, we were just thinking that if something ever went really wrong, like we had to leave because of an evacuation, we might want to come up where you're at, and we would be in return, if you've ever thought about something like this, be willing to make that offer sometimes where you're at in our area happens to be safe, you can come down here. You know, you're asking and you're offering at the same time. Don't just assume that you can go anywhere. i got a question about that I'm going to answer in the next listener uh, call-in show. It's really, really interesting uh, the way that this one was phrased. Um, but anyway, so make sure that you have places to go, that you know where you're going, you know how to get there. Then just go to Google Maps. And each of these places you've decided you would go to, map out how to get there with the directions feature. Do one where you just put the two addresses in and Google gives you the directions. That will be the most expedient route there. Print out the directions. Now, using your brain, look at a route that goes around that, a different route, a route B, and you might have to run the directions point A to point B, point B to point C, point C to point D, and point D to point E, with point E being where you're actually going. Because Google's not going to do that for you. You're going to have to pick, okay, there's a little town, and here's the route I would want to go. Print out route B. Put into your documentation, primary and secondary routes to all the places that you might go if you had to leave. Keep that documentation in your vehicles. Keep the contact data in your vehicles. When it comes to storing food, there's a couple things that you can do. If you're in this panicked state, all right, you're just freaked out. I gotta do something. Okay, go out and buy yourself a big pile of beans, a big pile of rice, and a big pile of pasta, enough to fill a five-gallon bucket of each. Throw them in a five-gallon bucket with uh, with with a liner. And a mylar, uh, not my, or use mylar if you want to go that far. If not, I don't even care if you throw it in there with a food-grade plastic bag. Throw a couple O2 absorbers in there. Seal up the plastic. Put the lid on the bucket. I don't even care if they're Home Depot buckets. Stick them back in a closet. Burn some food. All right? Just don't panic. I don't suggest you actually take that approach. I'm just saying if you're if you're panicked and you need it to calm yourself down, go ahead and do it. It ain't going to cost you that much money. I mean, you're talking you do that for under 50 bucks. And and to be fair to people that take that approach, you know, you can go a long time with 3 5 gallon buckets full of beans, rice and pasta. You really can. There's there's a lot to be said for that. What I would prefer that you do initially is start out by going into that pantry that you've pulled all the food out of. You'll probably figure out when you do that exercise, your pantry is not very well organized. So organize your pantry and consolidate your space. Put one of those racks on your door maybe that you can stack food in. Okay, you can buy those at Lowe's or Home Depot for like, I don't know, 10, 15 bucks. And I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. They're made out of wire. They're usually white. You can buy them four feet, six feet long. They've got little wire shelves in them. You screw those onto the inside of a door and it creates extra storage space. Because instead of just having the shelves, now you have all these other little shelves. So take that approach. What I want you to do is get one shelf in your pantry clean. No food on the shelf. I want you to start looking at everything that you buy that is storable for six months or longer. Just look at the expiration date on it. If it's six months out or longer, it's a definite. 
All right? And understand, when you look at a box of saltines and it says it has uh, nine months of storage, if you leave that box closed to saltines, it's probably good for ten years. Right? Saltines last forever. Back when everybody was afraid we were going to get nuclearized, they kept a lot of saltines around. I don't know if the best thing to eat or anything, but all I'm saying is that a lot of times that expiration date with food that's you know completely sealed, never been opened, dry, sitting on the shelf in a supermarket with no refrigeration there, it'll often make it longer. I don't want you to bet on it. I just want you to understand it in case it's ever necessary. On that shelf, what I want you to do is, let's say you go out and you buy yourself a can of tuna fish this week's groceries. Well, if you were only going to buy one by two, if you are going to buy two by four, if you are going to buy three by six, mirror your purchases. Not on all your products, just on a few. Pick a few that you actually regularly eat. If you don't regularly eat tuna, don't start with tuna. If you regularly eat canned chicken, start with canned chicken. If you regularly use pasta, start with pasta. Whatever you regularly eat in your home that will store, start there. Every time you buy what you need for the week or two weeks or however often you shop, buy a little bit extra. Start putting it on that bare shelf. That bare shelf is for nothing but your extra purchases, your reserve food. Eventually, and probably very quickly, because you're going to realize real quickly that you're buying your lower-priced items, you're not going to put T-bone steak on that shelf, right? So you're going to fill that shelf rather quickly. Once it's full, get a storage mechanism. And this is not... This is not long-term storage. You don't need Mylar bags and food-grade buckets for this. You can go get yourself one of those $7 big Tupperware bins. Okay? Take all the food off that shelf, put it into your bin. Put the lid on it, take it upstairs, put it in a closet. Take it downstairs, put it on a shelf. Put it somewhere where it's you know reasonably stable environmentally, and it's dark, put it away. When you buy a can of tuna fish, next week, that's not for your storage, that's for daily use, go upstairs, open your bin. That's why you don't want giant bins. We're talking one shelf here. Look inside there. Find a can of tuna fish, since you know it's in there. Stick your little hand in there. Pull out the can of tuna fish. Take the new can of tuna fish and stick it in the bin. And every time you buy something that's in one of your bins, go to your bin, open it up, Pull the item out of the bin and take the reserve, new reserve item and stick it in the bin. Now you take your, your bare shelf that you've been working with and you start over. i got 27 motorcycle cops, it looks like, passing me out here. Motorcade. I guess they're getting ready to go make us safe by riding 27 tickets. And I'm exaggerating at 27, but it's more than, it's more than a dozen. Anyway, folks, so you keep going that way, right? Now, once that shelf is bare, I want you to think a little bit differently this time. Don't do the same things. Now say to yourself, what other items that go in this pantry that I buy that will store for at least six months or longer that I haven't already done this with? Do your mirror purchases again until the shelf fills up. Take all that stuff, stick it in a second bin, put it upstairs. You don't have to be real elaborate. Get yourself a piece of paper, tape it to the lid of the bins, write down an inventory in clear, legible writing. Some of you guys might want your woman to do this for you, because if your handwriting's like mine, it's pretty daggone hard to read, or type it up and print it out and tape it on that bin. And then you just keep doing that. Every time you buy something that's in one of those bins, you pull it out, you put it in the pantry, you replace it from the bin. You start just having the same food that you always buy 
in reserves stored somewhere in your home other than in the food pantry. By the time you have about three bins full, I think you'll realize that you could go easily a month or two without starving to death. Now, you might have a little bit of a bland diet. Here's what I don't want you to do in this initial phase especially. Don't go out and buy five cans of Spam and throw it in your bin unless you eat Spam. Spam has an amazing storage life. It is a source of protein. Okay, It's a good source of protein. It's a disgusting meat as far as I'm concerned. But it will give you a source of protein. The, the, the thing I prefer to spam for that type of application is corned beef. But if you don't eat these things, until you have at least two bins full of food, don't buy anything extra unless you go buy some properly prepared long-term storage food like some from Mountain House, Emergency Essentials, something like that, number 10 cans, or if you put away food for long-term storage yourself, sealed mylar, the whole nine yards. If you want to do that too, go ahead, but initially, initially with your store-bought everyday, day-to-day food, I want you to try to just get two fairly large Rubbermaid bins of a varied assortment of stuff that you use in your home anyway. Just do that. And then you can probably at that point look at, well, how fast is your turnover? If your turnover is relatively quickly, you can go out and simply buy two more bins worth of food if you have the money to do it, or you can do it the same way using that empty shelf. All right? That's your starting point. I'm not going to go any more advanced with food storage today than that because this is for new people. This is a place to start. And I want you to start realizing how much it makes sense to do that because let's say one of the things that you buy, like one of the things that we buy often is tomatoes in a can. We buy these chopped up tomatoes with chili peppers and green peppers and onions and basil and stuff like that because there's so many uses for a can like that. Now, let's say we used up, we made a big pot of something. We used up all the Rotel tomatoes or the Heinz tomatoes, depending on whether it's Italian or Mexican we're cooking. And the shelf is there, and it's Thursday. And uh, there's plenty of food there, but there's no freaking Rotel. All right. Now, I've decided that I want to make up some queso because some people are going to come over and watch a basketball game. Right? Taking this out of prepping, just making this day-to-day life. And uh, so now I have two choices. Uh, I can go without the queso, or I can get my butt in my car, drive all the way to the grocery store to buy a can of freaking Rotel for 89 cents. In my instance, I go upstairs, go into my bin, find the one that says Rotel Tomatoes on the little list on the top, Open the bin, stick your little hot hand in there, pull out a can of Rotel, go downstairs, honey, make sure you add one extra can of Rotel to the list for the grocery store on Saturday. And now I've been not inconvenienced. right? So what I'm saying is that this method of food preservation, food storage, has a shit-hit-the-fan application that if you're stuck in your home or you have to evac, you have plenty of storable, easy-to-cook food to take with you, And, day-to-day, if nothing goes wrong, you have a convenience aspect to it. You can basically go shopping in your own house, and you just have this rotational policy in place. The other thing that you're going to have to get a handle on is your debt. There's going to be a lot of things that you learn more that you want to do for yourself. There's going to be assets you want to buy and systems you want to create that pay you a dividend for years and years to come. And you're not going to be able to do that if you're deeply in debt. Because now you're on this treadmill. 
So you need to pay your debt off. And I don't care how much debt you're in and how ridiculous that statement sounds to you right now. You can pay your debt off in less than five years. You can pay your debt off in your house in probably five to eight years if you really want to and you really get serious. And you actually live on the rice and beans that we talk about storing. It's up to you how radical you want to be with it. But your consumer-level debt, credit card, car payments, half to go. They have to be eliminated. You may be in a situation where you look at your car and you realize, I can't afford this car payment. And you may have to sell a car. And you may sell a car that you owe $12,000 on that you can't make the payments on, and you may sell that car for $10,000 because that's all you can get for it, and you may have to still carry the loan for $2,000 and spend $1,000 on a jalopy. Well, now you're making payments on $3,000 instead of $12,000. You can pay it off four times as fast. It's a temporary sacrifice. It's something you might have to do. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. You have to make your own decisions for yourself. All I'm saying is one way or another, you got to get rid of the debt. The best way I know to do this is to start out with, with two big things that you can do. Make a list of all your bills. You, know, you can usually do that by just looking at your checkbook or your online statement if you do online bill paying. And see all the bills that you pay every month. And start looking at them. And go, what can we cut? And cut like a maniac. You can always go, you know what, I'm going to scale down the programming package with Dish Network from the one that's costing us $90 to one that will cost us 60 Okay, you can always decide. You know what? Um, it's worth the thirty bucks to me, and call them back up and say, you know, I want to go back up to the ninety dollars package. They'll be happy to turn you back up. You can go one month. At the end of that month, you might realize that you like having that extra thirty bucks to pay on your debt better. You might like having that extra thirty bucks to put in your savings account better. You see what I'm saying? It's a very simple process. Cut it first, and then decide if you really need it after you've made the cut. It's actually pretty easy to do, and you'll be more willing to cut things if you look at it that way. And you'll be surprised at how many things that you cut that you end up not missing, that you were sure you were going to miss, and you won't. Then look at your debt, your just general debt, the, you know, your credit cards, whatever, medical bills, I don't care what it is, you make a list of all your debts. These are, you know, your, your uh, electric bill is not a debt. Your cable bill or your dish bill is not a debt. Your gas bill is not a debt. These are things you pay for as you use them. They are a living expense. Your grocery bill, not a debt, living expense. A debt is MasterCard says you owe $2,200. And even if you don't use MasterCard all month long, at the end of this month, you owe more than $2,200 because you owe the $2,200 you started with plus interest. That's a debt. List your debts in order. Pick the smallest debt. The very smallest debt you have. I don't care about interest rates. Ignore them. Pay the smallest debt off first. Find every extra penny from your cutting that you can find and apply it to your smallest debt. So let's say that debt was a minimum payment of 40 bucks. But you start paying 100. That's what you find is 60 extra dollars. That's all you can find. Okay? You pay 100. You pay 100 for five months. It was a $500 bill. That bill is paid off. You now have that $100. Let's say your next highest bill had a payment, minimum payment of $200. You take the 200 plus the 100. The 100 came from your first debt you don't have anymore. And now you pay 300 on the second. By the time that bill's paid off, now you have a $300 extra piece of power. You apply it to your next debt. You keep doing that. Dave Ramsey calls that the debt snowball. He did not invent it. It's been around as long as there's been math and money. That's how you get yourself out of debt. There's no other way to do it. 
other than to pay for it. You made the commitment. You agreed to pay for it. You're going to be a survivalist. One of the things you're going to have to have is integrity. So you make a commitment. You keep your freaking word and you pay your damn debts. Because a lot of the problems that we have around are because people figured it was easier to welsh on their word than to pay their freaking bills. So you pay your bills. And if you will not pay your bills, please do not disgrace the survival community by calling yourself a survivalist. Because you keep your word or you're not a survivalist. You have integrity or you're not a survivalist. You're just someone trying to make make you know make your life easier. We're not about making our lives easier here, we're about making our lives better. There's plenty of people that have easy lifestyles that are pretty crappy lifestyles. So you, you live up to your, your obligations, your integrity, you pay your bills off. You get that debt knocked out. And if you do those two things, you've gone a long way. Uh, toward kind of getting yourself off the ground and making that turn from being an, you know, a grasshopper and to turn it into an ant. And you'll start to find resources, opportunities, and money, and you'll start to educate yourself, get involved in forums, get involved in communities, pick projects one at a time. Don't decide, well, I'm going to go out and do all these things. I'm going to have a garden, I'm going to have a dehydrator, I'm going to have, a, you know, I'm going to have a solar oven, I'm going to have solar panels on my roof. Pick one project, allocate resources, allocate effort, allocate time, get it done. Pick another project. Incrementally, slowly, over and over and over until you get things done. Get yourself a notebook along with the debt problem. What's your spending? Not just on debt, just on day-to-day general spending. All I want you to do for two weeks, I don't care where you're at, I don't care how low on debt you are, I don't care how much you think you're a spendthrift, I don't care how much you think you don't need this, if you've never done this exercise, I want you to do it right now. Get yourself a notebook. Go buy one for 68 cents at the drugstore if you don't have one. And for the next two weeks, every time you spend a dollar, every time you spend a dime, every time you spend a penny on anything, just day-to-day spending, write down what it was, where it was, and how much it cost. At the end of those two weeks, in fact, you might want to do it for a month, look at it all. And look for anything in there that you have regret now for spending your money on. Go, I, sh- I shouldn't have spent that money on that. And just circle everything that you feel, personally you feel, you should have spent your money on. If there's no circles, there's no circles. Don't worry about it. If that's how you really feel, but trust your gut, trust your instinct. And when you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that, circle it. You'll learn a lot about yourself, and you'll start to learn a lot about how much control you really have over yourself if you simply choose to exercise it. I guess the next piece of advice, and maybe I should have started with this for new people, is to understand what I've called the commonality of disaster. That if you look at all the things that people do to prep, and you list them down one side of a, of a graph, and then across the top of that, you list all the different disasters that could occur. And you start putting check boxes. Okay, store food. Does store food help if we have severe weather and I have to leave my home? Yes, because I can take my food with me. Does having low debt help if there's severe weather and I have to leave my home? Uh, yes, because I don't. 
I can take a few days off work until whatever's gone, okay? Um, the next thing it says is is to store water. Well, absolutely, yeah, that helps because you're going to need water uh, in that event. And then you, you, know, you go down to the next major disaster and you say, uh, what if there's an electrical grid failure? For whatever reason, the, the power goes out for a week or a month or, or longer. I mean, it could be 10 days, it could be 10 months. It doesn't really matter. You still have the same effect by the power being off. Okay, power being off. Stored food, does that help? Yeah, because the stores may not be able to load day. Uh, man, if the power's off and, and it's out at work too, work might be closed. I might not have any income for a while. Yeah, low debt helps. And you start realizing that if you look at all the preps that people do, that in most instances, any disaster, 90% of them apply. So you don't have to worry about, are, are, are you prepping for uh, the economy to collapse? Are you prepping for uh, pandemic flu? Are you prepping for, prepping for weather events? Are, are, are you prepping because you believe that we are losing our liberty? It doesn't matter that there's core fundamentals to what you do. And you don't need to worry about the threats so much as the actions. So we talk a lot about the threats on this show. I do it for a couple reasons. One, I do it to wake people up, make you aware what can go wrong. Most people are ostriches, head is deep in the sand, no idea what can go wrong. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to face it. It's easier to ignore it. And the other reason is because, frankly, people that listen to a show like this are interested in discussion of the threats. And determining, hey, dude, is there something going on right now that for me means I need to ratchet things up? If you're in Houston, there's a great big giant swirling hurricane on the way to the Texas coast. You need to pay attention. If you have all your money in the stock market, like a lot of people did this summer, and you start seeing all of these things going on with the housing market, realize how much the economy is tied to the housing market. You see oil at these ridiculous highs that you know cannot be sustained. And you look at the whole thing and you go, i got to get my money out of the stock market. Now, if your money's not in the market at that point, you don't have as much concern as other people. So that makes sense. You simply need to look at the threats to ask yourself, am I particularly exposed to this threat? Is there an action I can take to reduce my exposure to a specific threat that is specific to me as an individual or specific to me as a group? Stock market is specific to you as well. You know what? I'm invested, so I am in the group of investors, specific to an individual. Maybe you realize, hey, you know what, the job I do is kind of dangerous. I need some life insurance. Right? You know, I work uh, in construction on these high-rise buildings. I I could fall someday. I have to be honest with myself. I'm not Superman. So you have to evaluate the threats to see where your individual exposure lies to them, and that will help you develop a probability plan and say, these are the things that I need to do first. But I think the things that anybody needs to do first is put up a little bit of food, reduce your debt, and have a plan. If you do those three things, the other things will start to come a lot easier to you. You really need to look at having a way to protect your home, and protect what you have when something goes wrong. Because when something goes wrong and you're prepared, there will be people around you who are not, and some of them will be, you know, for lack of a better word, they'll be evil and they'll want to take what you have, including if it takes killing you or harming you or killing or harming your family to take it. I don't believe there's a better way to do that than a gun. Now, you notice I didn't say step one, go out and buy a gun. Because here's my belief. If you don't have something to defend with your gun, you don't need one. Now, you obviously have your life. And my other belief is that 90% or more of the people that listen to this show already own a gun. 
So what people want to do when they say, well, I'm going to get into prepping, is it's not I want to go buy a gun. It's I want to go buy the gun. Especially guys, I want the slicked up AR-15. I want to go sink $2,000 into a main battle rifle. No issues from me. You want one, you got the money, you go buy one. All I'm going to say is if you are sitting in your house and your pantry is bare and you have no food, you're $25,000 in credit card debt, you have no business, no business at all, spending $2,000 on a gun while you're trying to provide for a family. You just don't. It doesn't make any sense. But at some point, yeah, you need to look at that. You need to assess that and go, do we have the firepower here to at least stand off some looters? Right? Force-on-force engagement, some of you guys I think are kidding yourselves. I really do. I think some of you guys that think that you know, if the army comes, I'm going to stand them off. Uh, folks, you need to go to YouTube and type in JDAM and see what the Army does when somebody tries to stand them off with a few small arms. All right, Not going to happen, but you do need to be able to defend your home. Beyond firearms, you may need to look at some other things. One of the things my family does is we all carry mace. Now, you might say, well, Jack, if you have a concealed carry permit, why do you carry mace? Well, the main reason I carry mace is because it was the only way I could drive for, you know, into the knuckleheads of my son and my wife. You need to do it, too. If I do it, obviously it's important enough that you can do it too. I don't have to fight with them about it. But there's another reason. There's times when I would prefer not to have myself injured, but yet lethal force is not acceptable, or it would be regrettable if I had to apply it. And it doesn't always involve humans. Not the last time, but I'd say three times ago that we went to Arkansas. Instead of walking up our mountain the way we usually go, we walk down the way that we drive up. And there's a guy that has, it looks like some kind of a pit bull mix uh, down the road from us. And she came at us, and she was upset. And I was carrying a gun, and I could have shot her. This is not a way to endear myself to my neighbors, my new neighbors, especially out in the sticks where I might have to depend on them. But this dog was vicious, and if I'll tell you what, if we would have just turned our back on her, she would have bit us. And once a dog like that starts to bite, it's, you know, usually not like, you know, a shepherd might bite you and slash at you or whatever, but a pit bull, even a pit bull mix, in fact, often a mix is worse, will often, you know, like something triggers in them and then they go for the kill. Well, I pulled my mace out took the safety off, pointed it right at her. I never had to spray her. And I said, don't you do it. And I had complete, total confidence that that dog could see. And the dog went, something's not right here. right?" And I had my left hand back on the butt of my pistol in case the mace didn't work. So I had complete confidence that I could deal with this situation. And uh, she growled and all, and uh, she took one, if she took one more step, she was getting a, a little bit of it. And if she took another, you know, after that, if that didn't back her off, she was getting full force in the face. And I promise you, that would have sent her going the other direction. But it put me in a position where, you know, honestly, this dog didn't look like one of these big, tough, super pit bulls. I probably could have broke her ribs by kicking her ribs in if I had to. But I, I would have got my 
I would have got bit, and I would have got hurt, and I would have got injured, and I might have been severely injured. I could have, you know, had a tendon slivered or something. It doesn't have to happen if you have a means of defense. And I don't care what kind of martial artist you are, I don't care what kind of boxer you are, what kind of jiu-jitsu guy you are, and I'm for having those skills too in case you have to fall back on them. There's always someone tougher than you, there's always someone bigger than you, and it never hurts to have an equalizer. So that's another thing to think about is self-defense beyond a weapon. You may live in a state where it's not legal for you to carry a weapon. Now, I know I have my own opinions about what to do about that, but I'm not going to give them on the air. But there is always the alternative of simply carrying something that is legal, a taser, a stun gun, all right, a baton, whatever's legal in your area. Consider carrying the most effective weapon that's legal for you to carry so that, God forbid, you should need it. It's there to defend yourself. And quite often, it never needs to be shown and it never needs to be implemented. The very fact that you have it gives you the confidence to rationally deal with the situation. You never go out in a situation where you're armed with the attitude of since I'm armed I can get away with anything I want your demeanor should be relaxed if you're armed with anything you should be at a situation where you go because I'm armed I have a responsibility to try to defuse any situation that I can before it comes to a point where I need to use that armament, even if it's just mace, even if it's just a baton, even if it's just a taser, you have more responsibility, not less, when you carry a weapon for defense. But I sure as hell suggest you do it, and I suggest you learn how to use it properly. So, so that's another thing. One more thing that you really need to look at doing as a new prepper is having some source of reserve water. Now, I think the uh, the cheapest way to do this. Last time I went to Walmart, a gallon of water was 68 cents. You know, go buy $6.80 worth of water for three or four weeks in a row just because it's easier to bring it home in 10 gallons at a time than trying to bring it home at, you know, 50 gallons. And somewhere in your home, put 50 gallons, 60 gallons of water for drinking away. Now, it's not real easy to transport that. It's uh, it's heavy, it's bulky, but at least you'll have it if the faucet goes off. Look into getting some rain barrels. Uh, I use my pool for reserve water. If you have a pool, understand that that's there for reserve water. Now, you're going to be drinking water out of your rain barrels. I hope not. You might have to. You might have to boil it. You might have to boil water out of your pool for drinking. But those extra water supplies outside for irrigating any gardening that you're doing. And the big thing, folks, is we learned when we had a water issue up in Arkansas two visits ago, Flushing toilets. It was pretty handy that we could walk out to one of the rain buckets, dip a bucket down in there, come into the bathroom, take the tank off the back of the toilet, fill it up, and flush the toilet. Something we take for granted. Uh, So make sure that you have some level of preparation in place for water-wise as well. The biggest thing, though, is to think about your situation the right way. Again, understanding that you didn't get here overnight, you're not going to undo the damage overnight, just like the dieter. I think you need to be looking at putting a garden in, putting in some permanent crops. You know, go out and buy yourself a, you know, a couple fruit trees that will grow well in your area and plant them. Do that right away if you have the money. As long as you're not broke, as long as you're not you know, using a visa to pay for it, get yourself a couple fruit trees and plant them. They take forever to grow, so that means the time to plant them was yesterday. Since you didn't do it yesterday, do it today. Look at putting a garden in. Even just do a little four foot by four foot raised bed one square foot garden go out and get Mel Bartholomew's book buy it on ebay or half.com you can find it for less than cover price save some money understand 
that it's going to be important for you to have relationships in your community. Start to know your neighbors' names. Just, you know, start trying to meet one person in your neighborhood a week that you already don't know. And you'd be surprised how many people don't know anybody. I know more people on my streets, you know, my street up in Arkansas. Every one of those five families, I know their name. I know their story. I know why they're there. Uh, Yet, the people that live on my own cul-de-sac, I pretty much know the people in front of me, behind me, to my left and my right. And I don't really know anybody else. And I should make an effort myself to know those people better. The, The reality is, though, I don't have a lot of interest in knowing most of them. But you need to know at least the neighbors that are around you on a first name basis. Because you may have to rely on each other. And that's not a good time to start with, hey, by the way, my name is Tom. All right. So... I hope this helps you if you're a new person. And again, I want you to understand it's more about how you think than what you do. If you think the right way, you lead yourself to your own plan. Because this is the biggest piece of advice I can give you. I can't tell you what your plan is. I can't give you, here is a 90-day plan for a new person. Because number one, it may not work for you because I don't know your individual situation. I don't know how much debt you're in. I don't know how much income you have. I don't know how much prepping you've done without even knowing it. It just needs to be organized. If you're a camper, you may have a ton of preparations done already. You just never thought about them as preparations and you need to put them in order. If you need to do documentation to your family, you might already have that. You just may need to print out two extra copies and put them in your vehicle. If you know how to use Google Maps, the little project I gave you might take you five minutes. If you don't, it might take you five days, especially if you don't know where you're going to go. I don't know how many relations or friends that you have that you can go stay with. I don't know if you already have a bug out location. I don't know anything about your life as an individual other than what some of you tell me, you know, and I get a lot of emails like that, and then I do my best to answer your question specifically. So I can't give you a plan because I don't know your situation. You have to take responsibility for yourself and develop your own plan. The other thing that comes into this is even if I do know your situation, if I write a plan for you, it will fail. And how do I know it will fail? I know it will fail because you will not follow it because you will not completely believe in it because it's not your plan, it's mine. If you put your plan together, if you make decisions for yourself, if you set your own goals, you set small goals at first and you achieve them and you experience how good it feels and the impact on your life by making those things work, you'll set another one and another one and another one. You'll keep doing it and you'll get the plan done because you'll believe in the plan because you have ownership in it. So that's my biggest advice. Don't worry about so much what other people are doing other than for the education you can get by seeing, I did this, it worked. I tried this, it didn't work. It was a mistake. If you do this, don't buy this, buy that. Right? That's the value of seeing what other people did. You can be inspired and you can be motivated by them. You can look at it and go, well, if he did it, I can do it too. They're not any smarter than me. They're not, they don't have any. And sometimes you'll look at things and go, these people have done all this. And, uh, you know, from what they've said, they have a household income of 40000 I have a household income of 80000 I have no excuse. I can do it too. But it's not so, okay, this guy did one, two, three, four, five, so I'm going to do one, two. No. No. You have to have ownership. When you have ownership, you'll commit, you'll have belief, and you'll get it done. And you'll start building a more sustainable lifestyle. This has been Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all 
gets spent 